was I'd Hate to Be You If I Were Me by Virgin Mobile Meth Lab. Catchy little ditty and my first guest on the Shit Musicians Say podcast is the drummer for Virgin Mobile Meth Lab, Mr. Bill Finn. Say hi, Bill. Hi, Bill. (laughs) Nice. So, uh, you want to talk to us about that song at all? Uh, well, uh, that song is in reference to a movie called Barfly, uh, and the line, I'd hate to be you if I were me, is uh, something that Frank Stallone says during the movie. Uh, obviously, the title is self-explanatory, a lot of drinking, a lot of fighting. Written by uh, Charles Bukowski, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. And uh, Mickey Rourke plays. Yes, it's a it's Hank a Chinesky. fabulous cult classic film starring Mickey Rourke. Yeah, good stuff. All right, well, let's uh, just jump right in. Um, I kind of wanted to do uh, a little history between me and you because people don't know who the fuck I am yet, and uh, obviously they. Uh, I don't even know who you are. Well, I, you know, you got the phone call and showed up. And you were, you know on the list right so um yeah well how did do you remember how we met um I believe it was for a t-shirt order Uh and uh I had already well let's see maybe yeah I advertised in slam magazine for t-shirts being printed and I believe you contacted me over that and then we became more friendly towards each other and you were actually I believe your band was on my very first show that I ever put together uh, back at Extremes in uh, River Park back in 97 I would uh, remember that the same way. I met you at uh, Orbit Music to uh, discuss said t-shirt order. I was in a band called Forearm Shiver at that time. Right. And, uh, yeah, you did our first shirts. And, uh, yeah, I remember that. How's those shirts holding out for you? Still still holding good? You know, I've uh, every band shirt I've ever had made, I've saved one. So there is... They're upstairs. There's the ones you made. There's one upstairs in the drawer. So, uh, 20 years later, still holding strong. 20 years later, the, uh, Finn stamp of quality. Right. So, um, that brings us to our uh, next point. Um, how you got started being a promoter. I I think everybody knows you as a local promoter. You do a lot of nationals coming through and a lot of locals and whatnot. So, uh, how did uh, you get involved in that? And, uh, Refresh my memory. Who was on that? Who else was on that first extreme show? I believe this is how it kind of all started. Um, Obviously, I was a musician first, and I would play music with my friends and write music with my friends, but I really didn't know of any other original bands in the area. Then occasionally you would find some friends that played originals, but... Yet nothing really sunk in about organizing anything. So, uh, the whole time I'm a musician, I'm also a t-shirt printer by trade. 
and I start meeting more bands by printing their shirts for them and designing logos for them. And then I came across a uh, guy that had a magazine and uh, I thought, hey, how about I trade some advertising space for some shirts, me offering the shirts, him offering the advertising space. And uh, he was okay with that. And uh, I seen that it generated a little bit more business for me. That's how I met you and uh, and like Jetta from the Rosenbaums and a few other bands like that. And so I, being a musician first, I was like, hey, this guy can help us advertise a show. Let's organize a show because I played other people's shows before, but never did any organizing of such events. So I was like, hey, how about we organize a show and you sponsor it through the magazine and I'll sponsor it through my T-shirt company and uh, we'll make some things happen. And he was okay with that. And then all of a sudden, the very next month that the show was happening, uh, the publisher of the magazine did some very controversial things and uh, the police got involved and they apparently what the venue owner told me was police came to the venue and said that since this guy was part of it, that they suggest that the venue owner cancel the gig and I was like, hey, why <clears throat> Why should uh, all these bands have to suffer? Because, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> edit out my hacking there. <laughs> so uh, it all came down to where uh, I had to take over everything on the show with the promotion and all that stuff. And that's kind of what motivated me to, at the same time, uh, become a promoter. And then also start my own magazine. And that's a whole whole conversation there, you know? Right. So that was, was that the extreme show then? Yes, that was the extreme show. Uh, I can remember it very well. I mean, a lot of things happened. Uh, so not to cut you off, the, that was Slam Magazine then? Yes. I guess I should have asked if you wanted me to mention Yes, that. Slam Magazine. I don't remember the the whole thing surrounding the uh, owner and whatnot. And I don't well, know. it happened to be the summer that uh, Princess Diana died, if that's you can date it then, 1997. And then it was also the same summer that South Bend Police Officer Paul DeGooch was shot while on duty. Well... The publisher put a picture of Paul DeGooch on the cover of his magazine with bullet holes in his head. Oh, jeez. That was, yeah. And it said, die, racist pig, die. Fucking brilliant. What an idiot. So that was like, you know, hey, uh, you know. Hey, I don't want to publish my magazine anymore. Let's go ahead and do something. Yeah, I mean, I'm all for freedom of press, but... I also know not to kick a gas can over yeah. into a fire. Don't shit in your backyard. Right. Yeah. Anyhow. Yeah. So what What other bands were on that show? Well, um, I had been a uh, reader of Metal Maniacs magazine, and I want to say I got a band from there, but I can't quite remember because I maybe get two shows mixed up, but I know it was you guys us i want to say furious styles which later became spray pain uh 
Let's see who else was on that show. Uh, I remember playing a show there with a band called Crime, but that might not have been the same show. We played several shows. No, Crime became American Motherload. Really? Yes. Um, I want to say uh, Forum Shiver. The Jerk Offs were on that show, I believe. You're asking me as if I remember. That was... Uh, <laughs> I do know They're a punk band and Garth... No, I remember who the jerk-offs were. I okay. I'm, I'm questioning the... I have a picture of the poster around here somewhere in my in my phone or somewhere in a message or whatever. Pete Potter, um, he has the original poster and I told him I'd buy it off of him, but I'm still waiting on that negotiation to go through. Let's, let's get on that, Pete. Right. All right. So, uh, a little more to your point about uh, original musics and, and uh, musics. Jesus Christ, I can't speak. Um, I remember being in a band, Shockproof Reality, who was my, pretty much my real first band, and uh, not having any fucking place to play, and kind of doing the same stuff that you started doing to a lesser extent. Uh, what we would do is... Um, Elkhart Parks Department would let you rent out their uh, pavilions. Right. Which people do for, you know, weddings, bar mitzvahs, what have you. Bill forgot to silence his phone, I think. Son, right. Son of a bitch. But anyways, yeah. So, I mean, that, and that kind of goes back to, and people are going to bitch and moan that I bring this up, but my uh, distaste for... Uh, cover bands because it seemed like if you were in a cover band you could fucking play anywhere and there was no venues for original music so that's kind of the seed of where that uh, distaste comes from and you can uh, direct all your hatred and send emails to shit musicians say podcast at yahoo.com so uh, let's hear it anyhow so I kind of feel your pain as far as the you know the original scene back there being fairly non-existence i know we man i wish i could remember some of the bands we played with i know we did some stuff with plunge plenary back then right or maybe then they were c-spot mosh and then uh god was it squishy spongy some fucking some band they they had a pretty good following i didn't Uh, really know too much about the elkhart scene of the 90s until I started already doing shows and I just remember some of the bands that I worked with from back in those days any uh, favorites um well uh, what band were you in you said you guys played on that extreme show what band were you in at that time my band was called Dyan Nation D-Y-I-N apostrophe N-A-T-I-O-N Dianation. I kind of got an inspiration from the name Dianetics, and now... L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah, what a shocker, huh? <laughs> I just thought it was a cool name, you know? And uh, so, that's kind of why I came up with that. It, ha- it wasn't inspired by his writings by any means whatsoever, just his imagination. Because obviously, he's got a really good imagination to get all those fucks to believe everything he says. So <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Um, so that band featured uh, Pete Potter, who is in a band now called Humend. Uh, 
With my buddy Dave Nixon and Bob Keys. Correct. Uh, Rob Wright, a.k.a. Boyle, who's been in several bands. Boyle. Boyle. Uh, and then we had uh, a couple other guys, Jay Coriel and Sean Hanner in the band. And uh, we did, uh, you know, all original music. And uh, as you should. And it was it was a lot of fun, you know, <clears throat> but we really didn't have anywhere to play. Uh, we did have a couple shows, you know, here and there, but nothing was available like whenever, you know. Uh, you really had to know somebody to get a show. Uh, I remember playing at like a biker bar once and, you know, someplace out in Laporte, Dick's Pub with cartoon violence. And, you know, so there there were places that were willing to do it, but they were more like your neighborhood dive bars and not places with established stages and house PAs and light shows and that kind of stuff. But at the time you kind of took what you could get because right. Like I said, unless your buddy was having a party or you rented out the parks pavilion. Right. Just weren't, you know, there were no venues. I do remember uh, when uh, shop crew reality was first starting out, uh, there's a bar out in Goshen and, was it teasers or the body shop the body shop and they did a promotion with a local radio station and this is 91 92 and uh this was actually before shockproof reality was called shockproof reality we made an anagram of the uh, initials of the guys in the band and we were syringe s-r-e-n-j which I thought was cool because it kind of sounded like syringe. And we had a lot of songs about drugs, so go figure. What a shocker. <laughs> um, but we were the only all-original band on that bill. I do remember Gunshot being on that bill. And those guys had quite a few originals back in the day, strangely right. enough. Right. And were very good as well. Um, but between us and them... There, it was all cover bands, and then it. I'm not going to talk shit because I kind of, I still kind of know some of the guys that were in some of those bands, but it was kind of ridiculous, honestly, because it was based on it was a battle of the bands, and you were judged on your original song only, right? And it was like the most uh, popular cover band of the day, or of that time. I bet I could guess the name of that band. You can. And actually, the band that I was in after Shock Crew, Forum Shiver, we actually had a song that was named after them that I don't think ever got recorded. But it was a uh, crowd favorite making fun of them. But uh, Was it have to do with wine and women? <laughs> it might. might be a Greek god. I yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. But, you know, whatever. No, no hard feelings. But... That those guys eventually, you know, ultimately won that day with some uh, less than imaginative stuff, and I'll get skewered for saying that, but I don't care. You know, when you uh, put all your blood, sweat, and tears into writing original music, and then join a battle of the bands that is supposed to be all about originals and uh, cover bands throw together. I don't know. That's weird because I think Elkhart. No offense, but Elkhart County supports cover bands mostly. I also organized a battle of the bands at the zoo, 
and I was a judge, and then the owner, Kim, was a judge, and then her boyfriend slash husband was the third judge, and lots of really good bands on this thing. It, it lasted for like a whole month, and in the very end, a cover band won because Kim and Tim voted for that band, and they kind of basically overthrew me as far as my voting went. And I caught a lot of like heat from that from a lot of bands. Oh, this is rigged. Well, they were right because it was rigged, but unbeknownst to myself until the very end when the, 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 the numbers came in. And that really pissed me off. And I was just like, man, you know, now the guys in that cover band, they're cool dudes, you know, and they're a good band. But like you said, they were a cover band, and they kind of still won no matter what, you know? Right. I remember uh, being in one of my very few forays into being uh, in a cover band, and uh, I am currently in one, and, you know, it's a lot of fun. I have, I have nothing. You to... suck, dude. I know. Fucking stab me in the eye for talking shit, and then being in one. I'm a hypocrite. I'll right. take it. But uh, I was in a band called Deadspin, and we played at that same venue that uh, out in Goshen, Teasers, Body Shop, whatever the hell it was called at the time. I never knew you were in Deadspin. I was very early on before they were... You know, it's funny. Um, I kind of stepped down because I was in Forum Shiver at the same time, and those guys were giving me a lot of shit, and I'm like, you know, my heart's in original music, so I was like, this, you know, I it was a moral dilemma for me, so I just kind of... I told the guys in Deadspin, and I, I gave them plenty of notice, and um, and had you know stepped down pretty much, and there was no hard feelings. But the funny thing was, is the guy who took my place was Mark Muday. Huh. And at the time, we both had really long goatees. Well, he still does, right? And uh, I saw him like a couple months after he had been in the band. He's like, dude, you have no idea who how many people come up to me and think that you shaved your head. And I'm you. So that was kind of funny. But at the time when I was in that band, we I we had a gig that got booked and nobody told me shit. It was just like, I you know, fucking show up and play the songs. But at the end of the night, I'm talking with my buddies in one of the other bands. And unbeknownst to me, it was a battle of the bands. And I said, oh, yeah, you know, something about pay came up. I was like, oh, yeah, we're supposed to get paid, you know, 300 bucks, whatever. And that was second prize. I'm like, oh, shit. So it would, I mean, the fix was in, but it, fucking nobody told me to keep my mouth shut and I'd let the cat out of the bag. So, you know, shit happens quite a bit, I'm sure. So did the other members of the band know the fix was in? <laughs> they must have. They fucking, you I rotten did, fucks. I didn't. I never got the fucking memo. They well, good didn't. for you. That's, yeah. that's good. But yeah, I ratted them out on, you know, unknowingly, but whatever. So moving on. Um, it's well, I, I guess let's, uh, wrap up your, uh, uh, promoter, uh, segment. What's are some of your, uh, uh, favorite shows you've booked around here? Hmm. As well, far as let's, well, let, and let's split it into local and, uh, regional or like national bands that had came through. Gotcha. Um, I think my favorite local show happens to be one that my band played. Um, it was the Urinal Mints uh, comeback show. It was about a year after I was shot, so this would have been in 
2009. Maybe, yeah, about a year afterwards. And I have that on my notes to talk about. So and, if that uh, piques your interest, we're getting there. <laughs> yes, I was shot. Well, we did this show where they rolled me out on a gurney and I was covered in a shroud, the shroud of urine. And uh, I rose from the dead as rock and roll Jesus. Wait a second. Was this at PNA? This was at PNA Club. Did I fucking booked that show, didn't I? Wasn't that a... No. Was that the uh, Riley's Children's Hospital benefit? Um, I do not believe so. Okay. I'm thinking of another show. Sorry. Not That's all right. credit. Uh, I, I think Signal played the no, show. Yeah, we were on there. I remember this whole uh, shtick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, my bandmates dressed as... Uh, nuns and I was Jesus and our singer Garth Plinko dressed as a pregnant nun Uh, well during our set Garth the pregnant nun decided that he wanted to have an abortion so because abortions are mandatory in our band uh, anyway so during one of our songs he got up on the gurney they rolled us out or rolled me out on and he sang his song and had multiple abortions. I think he probably had about 20 or 25 abortions while he was singing the song. And the last song uh, was a living abortion where our friend, who was naked inside the gurney the whole show, half of the show, was pulled out of Garth's vagina and uh, ran through the audience naked. And uh, it was just a really cool, fun time to be creative, to offer something more than just the music, even though the music's the main thing. But when I go to a show, I like to have fun. I like to laugh. I like to uh, have my eyes stimulated as much as my ears. So uh, I just don't want to sit there and watch a bunch of dudes stare at their shoes and uh, or, or women stare at their shoes, you know, whatever. I like show bands, and that's what we were. We're a show band. Absolutely. Never a dull moment with the virgin. Oh, damn it! I almost called it virgin. The uh, the urinal, urinal mints crew. Yes. And on that note, um, why don't we play a song? Hey, there you go. What would you like to play by the urinal mints? Um, I think we'll probably have to play our title cut from our last CD, uh, "Urinal Mints Own Your Soul," and uh, it pretty much. Uh, explains it all that if you're a fan of the urinal mints uh we own your soul so you know whatever this is the urinal mints own your soul
All right, we are back, and that was Own Your Soul by The Urinal Mints. So we covered what your favorite local show was that you had booked. What was your uh, favorite regional band you brought through, or national touring act? Uh, well, there's more. I mean, I there's a couple of them that really stand out to me. Uh, well, probably my favorite one for me personally was uh, when I brought MOD to town and uh, got to hang out with Billy Milano uh, as a SOD fan, Stormtroopers of Death. I just thought that was the coolest thing ever, you know, and uh, to know him as a regular person rather than just like a metal icon in my mind. I thought that was really cool, and it was a very successful show. And even though the show had to stop mid-show because a girl got kicked in the head in the mosh pit and went into a seizure, we had to call ambulance, and cops came and everything, and Billy Milano's standing right by me. He's like, hey, man, you know, if the show gets canceled... Don't worry about it. We'll come back and play again. You know, uh, it was just a really cool experience, you know, to be hanging out with Billy Milano. Another big moment for me was uh, back in the day when I was doing the, the bookings for Cheers. Where was the uh, MOD show? That was at P&A Club in South Bend over on Indiana Avenue. and Which does not exist anymore. It does not exist as, or wait, you know what? My bad. It was not at PNA Club. It was at Elva's Fiesta Club. And, uh, technically Elva's does not exist anymore, but there is a new owner that is trying to, uh, turn it into something else. But he had one show there and something bad really, uh, something bad happened and uh so i don't even know what's going to happen with that place right now at all but it'd be nice to get back in there but yeah that was that show i mean another great show uh for me was the first time i brought like dying fetus to town with skinless and uh you know a couple other bands and really got to see like blast beat drummers up close you know within 10 feet of me just throwing down and just craziness you know that was really cool uh having uh oh who else bringing like dick dale to town you know surf rock icon uh i was at that show that was uh, amazing you know uh to be able to hang out with somebody like that you know uh and hear his history and have him tell his stories and you know uh get to know him and you know, talk to him on the phone. That was really cool. One day I'm just sitting at home and my phone rings and, uh, I'm like, hello. And he's like, Bill. And I'm like, yeah. He goes, Dick Dale. And it was just like, <laughs> no way, Very you know? Nice. Uh, so that was really cool. Uh, another cool show was, uh, when, uh, I brought Bam Margera to town and got to actually get up on stage and play a song with his band while I was playing drums. And, uh, that was pretty awesome. Uh, what song did you play? We played All My Friends Are Dead by uh, Turbo Negro, a uh, really cool band from Oslo, Norway. I never realized where those guys were from. I thought they were like a Chicago band. They are not. They, they are weren't. from Oslo, Norway. They just recently had a new album come out, didn't they? 
They re- most recently did, and they are playing some uh, shows in the United States. Punk Rock Bowling, they are playing this year, and uh, another show on the East Coast. And uh, we're trying to find out if they're doing any touring in between those dates. Uh, chances are, if they do, they'll be in major cities uh, working on trying to get them to do a Chicago show and maybe get my band to open up for them. But we'll see how that works out. Uh, nice. Didn't mean to misdirect you there, but well, that's all right. Uh, just so many really cool things, you know. Bringing Reverend Horton Heat to town. Uh, I was at that show too. Uh, working on bringing him back again this summer. Who was the opener for that band for that uh, show? We he had was on uh, tour with him. On tour with him was Deke Dickerson. Uh, guitar players may know him from. Uh, he does like some kind of guitar review for Guitar Magazine, I believe. Uh, a lot of vintage guitars and whatnot. Phenomenal guitar player. He's like a Roy Clark Jr. Uh, just a, a great showman. You would think you're watching like 1950s Grand Ole Opry watching this guy, you know? Wasn't uh, it Wayne the Train? Or? Wayne the Train Hancock was also yeah. on that tour. And uh, he's a little bit more aimed towards the Americana style of music but uh great voice great entertainer and a really nice guy i can't remember the name of his guitar player but i got to hang out and uh have a drink with him great kind of a bigger dude and just a monster player yeah i didn't really get to know his bandmates at all uh that's the downside of doing being the promoter and working shows is you don't really get to just hang with everyone but uh you know i got to meet him and meet uh, the rev and uh and deke and you know so that's kind of what i did and really don't get to really know too many other people in the band you know unless i really want to make the effort to get to know somebody personally you know right and Uh, that show is at the landing that doesn't exist yes yes i uh, remember well because uh uh, the landing owner, Dale, and his wife, uh, I remember Dale's wife taking Wayne to like a drugstore to get something or whatever in her little MG convertible car. And I just thought that was funny to see them driving off together in her little car. Hmm. But yeah. But one less venue, actually two less. So we had the PNA that is gone now. And PNA is gone. Elvis Land- is gone. Landing's gone. Well, PNA and the landing are like fucking parking lots now. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that was good. Yeah, there's a whole list of venues that should still be here that aren't, and it sucks that they're that they're not here anymore. Yep, very true. Um. I've never heard Bill talk this much, so I'm kind of speechless. So, right? Um, Your mom has. <laughs> it's kind of muffled speaking, though, isn't it? Right. Right. All right then. Um, so, being that you're a drummer, uh, I, I honestly did not know when I met you that you were a musician. I think uh, we talked about t-shirts, and that was it. And at the time, I think you may have mentioned wanting to start your own magazine. I may be mistaken about that, but I thought the uh, rumblings of liquid were still yeah, there back then. If it was the summer of 97, the idea came about uh, for the magazine on a trip to Chicago one day. 
I went to like the alley or something like that and picked up the local uh, reader or whatever it was. There was some kind of music oriented publication there. And I started flipping through it and started reading about uh, original bands. And I just thought, man, this is really cool. You know, it's kind of an underground kind of thing. Uh, so there are places and people interested and supportive of original music. And it was just kind of an inspiration for me to kind of do that. But I really didn't do it until I was, the music scene locally was being misrepresented or put into the same basket as some extreme, uh, uh, First Amendment rights, I guess, you know, uh, it's like, hey, I support original music, but I also support kicking babies in the face. So, you know, uh, you don't want to put those together, you know, because then it just really doesn't really do good for your cause. Gotcha. And uh, was that another magazine that was around at the time or that you're referring to? Or um, Yeah, I can't really remember what it was, you know, what it was, was called. There like was Slam and there was Jam. and Oh, back, back around here, there was Jam, there was Slam. Um, there was noise magazine also, which I thought was a great name. I almost wanted to steal that name for liquid because it noise stood for Northern Indiana source for entertainment. And I just thought that was a really cool name. Uh, slam was street legal arts and music, right? Jam was, uh, journalism, arts and music. And, uh, they're all acronyms. Liquid, I was trying to come up with a name. It was like, you know, I was kind of looking through my thesaurus or whatever it was at the time. And uh, I just read something where it said liquid covers everything. And I thought, that's exactly what I want to do. I want to cover everything. So I'll call it Liquid Magazine. I never knew that. That is uh, quite clever. Yes. So um, the point... I had no idea you were a drummer at the time. So, what's how'd you get started? Um. Well, how did I get started? Uh, I mean, obviously, I grew up in the seventies. I'm an old bastard, and I would watch like Saturday morning cartoons, and uh, there was like shows on like the Bay City Rollers and. Captain Cool and the Kongs, and they were kind of like these Saturday morning shows, like the Banana Splits, where they have like, you know, uh, the Bay City Rollers were a band from Scotland, and uh, they would play music, and then, then you would watch cartoons or watch them do little skits or whatever, and, uh, you know, just watching TV as a child inspired me to want to play music for some reason i don't know um i had an uncle who was a musician he was a uh, country musician and uh and then my father had a couple friends that were guitar players and my friend tim francis aka fro his dad uh was an actual working musician and he would tour a lot and play like the hotel circuits and whatnot back in the back in the sixties and seventies. He'd be gone for weeks at a time, you know. And then uh, you know, Tim had this forty five record that his dad had put out with a band and had his picture on it. And I was like, Man, this is the coolest thing ever, you know. So, you know, uh 
my parents knew that I wanted to play drums. They bought me like this really, you know, crappy little young kid drum set when I was about six years old. And within a week, I was like playing the song Wipeout, you know, by memory or whatever. And uh, so that kind of, you know, they knew I wanted to play music and that I had, you know, some kind of musical ability in me. But, you know, throughout the later part of my early tween years and then into my teenage years, I kind of just more was doing sports and artwork and stuff like that. But when I got about 15 years old, that's when I really started wanting to play uh, because I was meeting more friends that were musicians and, and whatnot. And so my first actual time of getting together with another musician was my friend Tim and his brother Mike Jr. And we would start writing music together and uh, just doing our thing, you know. And, and then we'd also learn some cover songs. We learned some old school Metallica songs and whatnot. And we just thought that was the coolest thing ever, you know. And uh, But it wasn't until I was in my 20s to where I actually had my first real band. And that was a band called Crisis. And the lineup of that band was awesome. It was... uh. Tony Long from Forever Gypsy on vocals, uh, Jerry Walker from Spray Pain and uh, Furious Styles on guitar, uh, Jamie Warren, who's like a local guitar player. Guitar guru. He, I, I took lessons from him for a little while. Yeah, Jamie was in our band, and then we had this really good bass player uh, uh, named Nick from... Uh, Nick Tobolsky, he lives down in Florida now. He kind of moved away a while ago. But, you know, uh, that was a really cool band. Jerry was like 17 years old. I was like 24. We were pretty young. And uh, that's when I met, you know, Jerry's friends, Larry Bone and, and Chris Haas, uh, and met them. And that's kind of how I feel that was a turning point in my life because I met a bunch of new friends that who now are my best friends in life. And, uh, you know, this all kind of rolled from there. But, you know, I uh, I never, I guess I never really pushed it out there. Hey, I'm a musician. I'm a musician. I just was a dude that played drums and liked to hang out with my buddies and make music, you know? Right. Hoss has a great story about the first time he ever met uh, Bone. It, I, I'll have to have him on at some point. It's just obviously he has a uh, distinct uh, storytelling yes, style. Yes, he does. <laughs> I remember I think- the first time I met Bone. It was during actually a show at uh, this place called Club Mirage, which turned into like Storm and Norman's and the factory. It's above where the old BW3 is downtown South Bend. Yeah, it's like a wedding venue now. Yes, yes, yes. I can't remember what the hell it is. but And the first time I met Bone... And Haas was there because their band was playing the show, and Jerry was in our band now, but he had quit their band because they what were was playing. their band. I don't know. I think it was. I can't remember the name of the band. Uh, Misery. I think it was Misery. Okay. And they were playing all cover songs. Oh shit! Yes. Oh. And Jerry quit that band or guy i think me the story i heard is maybe hoss kicked him out of the band or something happened where he wasn't in the band anymore and he was playing with us now now 
Bone and Chris, they're all great musicians, you know. I'm not dogging them in any way whatsoever. But I was just very fortunate to have Jerry on our team, you know. Yeah. And uh, we played all original music that night, too. But I do remember the first time meeting Bone, I knew he was a really good drummer. And, he, you know, I was intimidated by him. He had this really awesome mullet. I mean, it was, like, glorious. To imagine Bone with hair is... Uh Yes, and then he also was wearing like some like spandex pants. What? And uh, I remember Bowen, him. Got a lot of questions to answer, my friend. He was wearing wrestling shoes. Well, now back in the day, I, I donned the uh, the wrestling shoes myself, and I wasn't a wrestler. I was just one of those douchebags. But anyways, yeah. And I remember the Bowen first time I heard Bone talk in in my presence was when he put his foot up on a chair, and I watched him tie his wrestling shoes mm. and that, that made quite an impression i can tell yeah it did it did and then uh the rest is history right uh quick story about bone uh so me and him are playing in a band uh called Atharia right now as well as another project that uh has no name but uh so we kind of knew each other through the local scene whatever just knew of each other bands we played in played on a couple of the same bills and i saw him at a deftone show and this is how i came to be in atharia with him i was in beauty behind the wreck at the time and uh he explained oh you know it was one of those things hey man you know what are you what are you doing musically and blah 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 and he said explained atharia to me and i was like man that sounds really cool so uh i had messaged him the next day and said hey man because they were looking for a guitar player i said uh I'd be down to try out. And he said, you know, if you want the job, it's yours. And I was like, fucking awesome. But point behind the story is I'm talking to him and he says something about playing drums. And I'm like, I always knew bone is the singer of ass puppets. I right. never knew he was a drummer. I mean, yep. and that might be, me, might be me being a dumbass and not paying attention, but I, had no idea. Bone is a chameleon. He can really uh, take on a lot of things. Uh, if you missed my birthday roast, um, I explained that in one of my jokes. I, I did miss that. Unfortunately, I think I was out of town for work. So uh, I'll I'll go ahead and, and repeat the joke awesome. here. It's more. I'm paraphrasing here. Bone has been many things. He was a DJ. He was a rapper. He was a goth kid. He was a punk rocker. He was a thrasher, metalhead with a mullet. He was a uh, tough guy, bald headed, tattooed, hardcore singer. But there's one thing Bone has never been. Do you know what that is? I do not. He's never been skinny. <laughs> oh, God. Harsh. And that was it. But um, uh, cue the drums. Still love you, buddy. But you're probably not even listening, anyways. You better be listening, some bitch. I'm in two bands with him. But no, Bone is a great drummer, and I was taken by taken by surprise. Yeah, and actually, uh, Bone brought me into a project where uh, called Devil's Eye, and uh, you know. He wrote the drum parts for all the songs and then taught them to me. And we played one show opening for I Hate God. And I was really like totally loving this band. But then it just kind of went kaput. This was recently, correct? Uh, probably about three, 
three years ago. Okay, I remember him saying something about that. Or either you mentioned it to me or he did. Because- yeah, it was me, him on vocals, Jerry Walker, guitar, uh, Mark Mude, guitar. And then we brought, we had Aaron Berta playing bass for us. But within two weeks, she had to bow out for some undisclosed reason. Um, I know what it is, but I won't disclose it. And then we brought Ty and Ty Barger from Knuckle Deep, and he's actually in Virgin Mobile Meth Lab now also. And he used to be the bass player, and now he's the guitar player, correct? Correct. Because that rotten bastard J.R. Robinson went up, and, went up and quit on you. Yeah. And I, I, I think I sent him your way. Sorry, yeah. Sorry about that. No, no, no. We, we Somebody had to be uh, the butt of all jokes, and it was him. That's funny, because I work with him, and that's kind of who he is at work, too. Good, good. Consistency. So, yeah. You know, if you got to be anything, be consistent. Right. All right. So, I got a couple notes here that I of some uh, questions I got for you. So, next question. The Urinal Mints toured Europe. Yes. Uh, talk to us about that for a minute. That well, it's very awesome. Always wanted to do that. It uh, first of all, the urinalments toured around the U.S. quite often. We right. I I didn't mean to leave that out. Well, it kind of that's this is the reason why we toured Europe. Uh, we played the U.S. quite often. CBGBs, Warp Tour. You know, big shows, awesome shows. Met a lot of cool bands. Met this one band from Chicago called Torg, T-O-R-G. The Jägermeister band. They were on Jägermeister. The Jägermeister band, yeah. correct. And uh, they were going to tour Europe in 2004. Well, their drummer quit on them about four months before the tour. And they were like, this is our first tour. You know, we got to do this. So the singer called me. He's like, hey, man, would you be willing to learn our songs and tour Europe with us? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, let me think about it for a second. Yes. You know, <laughs> now my wife, she didn't like that idea because she always said, I'm never going to do nothing with music. Well, oh. she's kind of right, but still, I got to go to Europe, you know. Well, let, let's uh, quantify that uh, statement. That is your ex-wife my ex-wife correct that that might it might be the reason that she is your ex-wife that she made that statement yeah yeah well that and many other statements right she would be my ex-wife if she made that statement right so i went to europe and toured with torg and uh we toured with a, a band from italy at the time called the nerds they were from milan italy and how uh in the punk rock scene it's a lot of DIY, a lot of networking. Uh, you build a family, you build a network, and you, you help each other out. You don't rely on, you know, people you just don't know. Uh, you mean sometimes you have to, but a lot of times you'd rather network with somebody that know, that's going to look out for your back, you know, watch your back. So, and, and, and to make the story shorter, uh, the nerds, uh, booked the tour for Torg and uh, in return the singer of Torg was to book the US tour for the nerds well they uh, you know I made friends with them I was talking to them online and, and whatnot and they're telling me hey uh, Bill uh, this guy is not booking any shows for us you know we have this all set up you know blah 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 and what are we gonna do and i i called the singer of torg i'm like hey dude what's the problem he's like oh man i'm having problems this and that i'm like dude 
you have to come through for these guys. Well, he was kind of an angry Chicago kind of like, bah, 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 fuck it, you know, fuck you, this and that. And it's just like, okay. So what I did was I was like, all right, I'm going to take over here. I'll book their tour for them. So I let the nerds know, hey, I'm going to book your tour for you. So within 11 days, I booked a 17-day tour for this band and had a lot of good shows for them, too. And they were so excited about that and so thankful that they went, the singer who owned a booking agency in Europe called Garbage Dump, uh, named after a... Uh, Snappy a, name. Uh, Charles Manson reference. I don't know what it is, but... I can't help you on that one. Okay. So... Uh, they were so happy that I did that for them that they're like, anything we can do for you, let's, let's, uh, let us know. And I'm like, well, you can book the Ernalments European tour. And, uh, I didn't charge them a dime for doing it and they didn't charge us for doing it. And so they booked us, uh, he booked us. We started in Italy, went into Spain, into France, into Belgium, into Holland, into Germany. And, uh, we did all those countries and it was the most amazing time ever, you know? That sounds pretty amazing. Yes, it was. Any, any uh, crazy tour stories? Did, and did you guys have to, I mean, how did you guys get around? Did you guys rent a van or? We rented a, a Sprinter. Is it a Sprinter or a Springer van? Like a Yoder Toter, like 12 passenger something or other. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, it was kind of more. I don't know. It wasn't a 12 passenger. Maybe it was, but we just had our own van. We rented, we paid a hundred euros a day for it. And then we obviously had to buy our own gas. And, uh, we, it was just us three for the urinal mints. You know, when we, when I was in Torg, the nerds, they knew Europe because they toured all around there and they were from Europe. So they did all the driving. When the urinal mints did it, it was us driving with a, with an Atlas, you know, Back then, we didn't no even... No GPS. No GPS. I mean, I'm sure it existed, but it probably cost $30 a day to rent or something, you know? Uh, so we just did that, you know? And we had... Uh, Garth took his girlfriend at the time, and she was with us. And then we had a tour, uh, uh, kind of a helper dude named John... Uh, but he was, he was an American from Dallas, Texas. So he had no idea, you know, where to go. And in Europe, you know, it's like, it's not a very big, it's a, for one day you're in Italy, the next day you're in Germany. So obviously the language is changing. Everything's changing. And it's just so weird that just crossing a border, you go from, uh, you know, Italian, Italian food and language to Germany where it's just like, whoa, culture shock, you know, just over a border and whatnot. So we did it on our own and, uh, we managed everything. And the fortunate thing about Europe is a lot of people speak English there. So I was going to ask if any of the band members were bilingual or if that ever, everyone was bilingual and actually the singer or the guitar player from, uh, the nerds who, booked our tour spoke five different languages fluently okay nice yeah so i mean europe was incredible you get treated a lot better over there than you do here their government actually gives them money uh 
to create culture for the arts. Yeah, for the arts. You know, what a concept. I know it's it's amazing. You know, All right? You should uh, use your uh, in with the South Bend mayor to maybe suggest that. I've never got to meet the South Bend mayor. I've called him out twice in a mosh pit challenge. Both times he has not shown up yet. Man, I can't. I we have to get on that. Yes, uh, I, I saw uh, Brian Kroger. Uh, was in a picture with him yesterday, so maybe we'll have to. Yeah, we'll have to get him to make things happen. Make make inroads for us. Correct. Okay, so uh, any crazy stories from that European tour, European tour? Um. Well, yeah. My current wife knows all of my stories. I've never hid anything from her. I can be one hundred percent honest with her, but. This sounds like a, a very good setup. Oh, it is. I mean, I, it does not matter. I've always been truthful with her, and I love that I can do that. I could not with my ex-wife, though. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, uh, well, let's see. Just, you know, going to the Berlin Wall, going to driving around the Arch de Triomphe in Paris, yeah. uh, going to Amsterdam to the Red Light District, you know, uh, going to uh, the square in Milan, Italy, you know, just seeing all this stuff up close and personal and actually being there, you know, stuff that you've seen in movies and in books and whatnot. It's just every, every day was amazing and meeting, meeting people from different backgrounds and cultures. And they're all, no matter where they were at, uh, socially or whatever, they're all very supportive of us over there. Uh, when I toured with Torg, I met one guy in, in, in Germany that was kind of anti-George Bush. And I was just like, well, w- at the time, I was kind of anti-George Bush, too. I'm like, hey, I didn't vote for the guy, you know. It's just like, you know, I go, I don't blame you for Adolf Hitler. I don't blame <laughs> your grandfather for that. Uh, so don't blame me for Trump. And he kind of got it, you know. He's like. What a Freudian slip that was. Right. You said Trump, not Bush. So, yeah, we won't oh. uh, we won't uh, veer into that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, into that deep water. But I just wanted to take a, a minute to appreciate that uh, Freudian slip. But continue. Okay. okay. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, just uh, you know, every day seeing something different. You know, meeting people and uh, just sharing their culture with them. The worst part about it was is you have to leave the next day. You know, and then start all over again. It makes you want to go back and hang out, but, you know, you can't really just do that any day of the week, I guess. Right. So, uh, the touring life gets a lot of uh, romanization, if that's an actual word. So, uh, let me ask you where the rubber hits the road. So, something like that, taking a three-piece band across the pond and touring Europe, um, having booked a few short u.s tours myself for uh, a band or two that i was in um what's uh and i mean just referring to budgets uh did you guys how'd you guys come out on that well we lost to be nosy yeah we definitely lost money but we look at it this way okay if we were just to go on vacation somewhere we would lose money you know, it would cost us money to go on a vacation. So what we did was, is we covered our own plane fare. Okay. 
Out of your own pocket. Out of our own pocket. So gotcha. for for Torg, my round trip ticket was only about four hundred and eighty dollars round trip. And what year was this? This was April of two thousand four. Okay, so we're talking fourteen years ago. So correct, maybe a little inflation, but not- now in uh, for the urinal mints, this was June of two thousand six. Our tour started on six six six. Awesome. June 6, 2006, in Torino, Italy, where the Shroud of Turin is. Very nice. Yeah, so it was, like, very cool, you know? Yeah. Uh, our tickets then were about $1,100. A piece, wow. A piece. Two years later. Two years later, and the season had a lot to do with it also. Uh, it was during the uh, World Cup series. Ah, uh, yeah. And uh, those Europeans, they love their soccer. Now, the plane fares went up, but the price of hookers in Amsterdam went down. Well, you know, there's the give and the take right there. Yes, yes, yes. So the more hookers you buy during the World Cup, the more money you save. Yeah, I, that's exactly how I'd look at it. That's exactly how anyone should look at it. <laughs> you know, if you're into that kind of stuff. I, I, I personally am not. I right. But if if that's your thing, then, you know. But it just seemed to just to be in Amsterdam, to see that being legal and you could just go into a a coffee shop and buy like the best marijuana you've ever seen in your life. And it's all legal and you can, you know, just live your life the way that you want. You know, it's pretty amazing. They're a very uh, liberal country, very open minded. I wouldn't mind uh, visiting sometime. It's awesome. So on that note, let's play another uh Urinal Mint song. What would you like to do? Oh, let's see. Well, if we're going to play another Urinal Mint song, let me see here. I think we should probably play one of our very most requested songs. Um, Ooh, let me guess. Go ahead and guess. Is it Fuck Me In My Ass? No, that that would be <laughs> Fuck Me Up The Ass. Up the, God, I fucked up the... And Come On My Back. And, yeah, in parentheses, I mean, if right? you want to request that song... You can go ahead. It's it's very catchy. I'm, I'm yeah, let's say just that. go ahead and spin that one. All right. This is Fuck Me Up My Ass. No, Fuck Me Up uh, The Ass. The Ass. Not, okay, I'm trying to personalize it and you know, make it a little something better. But Right. And just so we're clear, there is the subtitle. Go ahead. And Come On My Bag. Very catchy. And family-oriented. Yes. Here you go. Yes, they come on my back. 
All right. Just so I can say this once and get it right, that was Fuck Me Up the Ass and Come on My Back by the Urinal Mints. And uh, Bill has a, a story about that particular tune that he would like to tell. Um, yeah, I think it was like 2004, 2005, somewhere in there. Uh, we got asked to play the G Lethal 9 CD release party at Zars up in St. Joe, Michigan. And, uh, we're pretty happy to play, you know, uh, it's like a lot of metal bands than us. So we got put in the middle, which was really cool. Well, I took my son and a couple of his friends along with us because, you know, a father likes to hang out with his son and get him involved in music and whatnot. Absolutely. Well, we, uh, took the kids. They were probably about, I want to say nine years old, maybe 10. They got up on stage and did backup vocals during that song. And, uh, you know, it was hilarious. I mean, just kids having fun, saying cuss words on stage. Well, the owner of Zars was two flights upstairs watching on his closed-circuit TV uh, system. And when he heard this was happening and seen it happening, he ran down two flights of stairs, made the sound guy shut us off, kicked us off the stage, told us to get out of his venue and never come back again. And... They canceled having all ages shows there for at least two years after that. So, um, you're welcome, St. Joe. So, my question is, um, for anybody who's not familiar with the ornaments, that's kind of uh, the standard fare. Yes. As far as that song. So how many songs into your set was this that this guy finally realized what the fuck was going on? It was probably like six songs in, you know, we had every song we had, you know, I mean, not every song pushed the envelope per se with lyrics like that, but our songs were about smoking crack and shemale hookers and dildos and just, you know, whatever Cough kind punches. of, yeah, cock punches and, <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever we wanted them to be about, you know, right. And, uh, you know, it was a comedy band. We wore costumes, you know. We weren't, you know, trying to, you know, portray that we were some rock guys. We were up there having fun, and we wanted people to laugh at us. We never made fun of other people. We made fun of ourselves, and the songs were about us, you know, and, and put us in these weird situations and whatnot. And uh, that's what made it fun because people could laugh at us and still rock out and have a good time. And that's what we were all about. Awesome. Um, just to round it out, you had mentioned Garth Plinko was a uh, singer, bass player, and the guitar player was Luke Canapio, a.k.a. Lukaki. Lukaki. And something I meant to mentioned earlier i did not know that you were not the original drummer for this band no and luke was not the original guitar player either and garth was not the original bass player either oh, wow you garth like was the original vocalist and guitar player but he did not play bass until uh what how it happened was as i was at cheers and i was the, I was running Cheers, and I had an open mic. You know, I book open mic bands, and I booked a band called The Ninjas to host, and Garth was in The Ninjas. I mean, a 
Garth wasn't in the ninjas. It was some unknown character, but, uh, he asked me, you know, I, he had seen me jam out with somebody on stage playing like some really fast, you know, thrashy metal song or something. And he's like, Hey man, you can play drums really fast. You want to join the urinal mints? And I'm like, what? At that time, I was like, do I want to play songs about, you know, butt sex and crack and this and that? I was like, I didn't. Sign me up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I had to really think about it, to be honest. And after about a week, you know, he's like, well, I got Luke and uh, John Spagnola from the 60 Second Quickies on board. We just need a drummer. I'm like, okay, I really like those guys and they're quality musicians, so let's do it. And I tell you, you know. I was, I really, uh, I wasn't sure, but once I did, and like the, after the first couple practices, I never, ever once, even being in a band with those guys for 15 years, every practice I laughed and I had a good time. Even when we were at each other's throats, we still laughed and had a good time, you know? As it should be. Yes. So, uh, I'll go ahead and put this out there and not to offend anybody, but, uh, I have to say, having seen that lineup, that would be, to me, the quintessential lineup. You and Luke and Garth. Yes, yes. Uh, when John not, was not, in the band... Not kissing your ass or anything. I'm just... I've no, no. We were, we were a four-piece before we were a three-piece. And we had John, who's an amazing bass player. I mean, he, he, he rocks. Um, but it made us have two guitar players. And... You know, some bands are really good with two guitar players, but our band was better with one guitar player because it made us concentrate a little bit more on filling up that music. And Luke just shined when he became the only guitar player, you know, and it was just it was amazing. Garth had to learn bass for our songs. Our first show as a three piece was at CBGB's. Nice. And that was really cool. Our guitar, our John, we were on tour at the time. We were in like, uh, Providence, Rhode Island. John had met two girls at a show, not one, but two girls that were willing to go back and have sex with him. Well, yeah. Aim high. He aimed high, you know, and we all went back to this house where the band that we were playing with lived and John got really buzzed and freaked the girls out, you know, and uh, they left and we were laughing at him because that's what we do. We like to shame each other. And so uh at Game of Thrones, shame. And uh they uh him and Garth had words and got into a little physical altercation and John decided he was going to quit the band that night. So he grabbed his bass, had somebody drop him off at the Greyhound station and that was it. So we weren't going to quit our tour. We went into New York into uh, Manhattan and bought Garth a bass and he practiced the songs and then we got on stage that night and played as three pieces our first time and we actually opened up for uh, what's that band with that uh, John Popper band Blues Traveler yeah we opened for Blues Traveler that is a very odd matchup yep yeah um, it was really weird really quick um, for those who may not know uh, maybe give a little history of cbgb's because i don't know i don't think maybe some people that listen to this might understand not understand how uh, very cool that would be to play that venue well cbgb's was a club in manhattan new york uh back i believe it started in the late 60s 
and it was kind of just a neighborhood dive bar uh, in the Bowery area. In the Bowery area, back in those days, it was just crime-ridden prostitutes, drug dealers, you know, just junkies everywhere, just a bad place to live at the time. Uh, but this uh, this club called CBGBs opened up, and they started letting bands play there. You know, like li- really crappy local bands like the Ramones, and you know, bands like that. You know, that nobody wanted to give two shits about. And, uh, you know, like, uh, Blondie and the Talking Heads and all these bands that, yeah, just local bands, you know. Never heard of them. Yeah, never heard of any of these bands. And, uh, that bar is probably, it is the most, it's like the mecca for the punk rock music scene. It's where really punk rock, American punk rock started, uh, was there, you know, and it, it, even though it became a multi-million dollar recognized business, they never changed. They still had the the toilet you would never take a crap on. Uh, it still had, you know, just the same carpet that was, you know, covered in dog poop and, you know, everything. But this is in like, you know, a very which became a classier area of New York. It became uh, gentrified. Yeah, they gentrified this whole area, but CBGB still stayed exactly the same, you know? And eventually... It doesn't. uh, It's not there anymore. It's like a fucking gift shop or something, correct? (laughs) Yeah, it's gone now, and the owner, Hilly, died. uh, But I believe you can go into this gift shop, and they still have some remnants of CBGBs in there. Uh, it's, uh, just not CBGBs anymore. And, you know, it is, it's gone. It, that, 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 that's all gone. Now we did play there. We played there twice. Our first gig was in May of 2001. We opened for Blues Traveler. The second gig was like October 3rd of 2001, which was less than a month after 9-11. And we played there with Dave Brocky Experience, which was three members of Guar. And, uh, Dave Brocky, rest in peace. They, uh, they, recorded a live album there that night uh called live at ground zero and uh on track 22 you can hear them uh talking about our band thanking our band for touring with them and you can hear us heckling them nice very nice uh amusingly enough the place where uh american punk rock was was birthed cbgb's cbgb stands for country bluegrass blues Right, exactly. What does the OMFUG stand for? Uh, no clue. I have never known. So, all right. Oh, I think it stands for other music. OM, what is it? OM? OMFUG, if I'm not mistaken. Other music from the underground. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, well, that explains a lot. But country bluegrass group? That's why they added that, because the punk rock and stuff, you know. Oh, yeah, that makes sense then. Yep. Because it didn't quite fit before. All right, let's get down to uh, brass tacks here. Let's uh, break out the street cred and talk about getting shot. Kaboom. You were a bartender at the Wander Inn. No, Anchor Inn. Anchor Inn. On Western Avenue. I'm fucking everything up today. It's the inaugural episode. It's supposed to happen. Yeah, the Anchor Inn was a bar that I started working at after being fired from Cheers in 2007, 2006. Uh, 
So I went over to the anchor. Uh, I so was fired from Cheers because I went on tour with the Urinalments to Europe, and I remember that. That was there was some big bullshit there. Oh yeah, uh, and that's a whole other story, right? Uh, but but let's let's run the resume here real quick, just just for the uh, the latecomers. So we've got uh, t-shirt maker, t-shirt maker, publisher, publisher, drummer, drummer, promoter, promoter, and now bartender, bartender, correct. That's uh, and pretty full. Magnificent lover. Mag- yep, yep. We'll have to have uh, Milena on to yes. confirm that. Yeah, she will. <laughs> I'm sure she will. Yes. Okay, so that's... I'm at the Anchor. Uh, you know, it's a small neighborhood bar, but it's really cool because a lot of old school blues musicians would hang out there. Uh, guys that used to jam with Junior Walker back in the day. Uh, who's a very famous South Bend musician. In case you don't know, he wrote the song Shotgun, uh, Motown Records recording oh, artist. I love that. Uh, but like his drummer would hang there. His uh, Hammond B3 player would play there, guitar players, bass players. A lot of people that was in his band. Uh, and a lot of old school cats from back in the day. Uh, a lot of, a lot of the... Uh, you know, jazz musicians and whatnot. It was just really cool. So I started booking shows there and I became a bartender there and I was, I had a great job there. It's actually probably one of the best jobs I ever had. Um, and then the fucking place burnt down. Well, that was afterwards. Yeah, that was afterwards. Uh, but one night I was, uh, it was a Monday night and we had like this like in house poker league, fake poker league. You know, you just play for chips and, you know, whatever. Potato chips? Whatever kind of chips you want. Uh, fish and chips, whatever. Tortilla chips. Uh, so I had seen that, you know, somebody was trying to break into a car in our parking lot on our video surveillance system. And I went outside to kind of scare him out of the lot, which I shouldn't have because I wasn't armed or anything. And uh, I chased him out of the lot. And all of a sudden he stopped. And so I stopped. I was probably about 15 feet behind him. And all of a sudden, he turns around. He pulls a gun out of his waistband, points it at me. He's like, fuck you. And I'm like, holy shit. So I took off running. And he came out from around the corner of the building. I just ran around and shot me from behind. And uh, the bullet went through my left leg completely, took out my femoral artery, and then went into my right leg and shattered my femur into six pieces. And uh, I was laying there bleeding to death for about at least a minute and a half to two minutes till finally somebody came out and tied a tourniquet around my leg. But that took me about 10 months to recover from. And uh, it affects me. Uh, I have lifelong injuries because of it. But it hasn't stopped me from, you know, earning a living or uh, playing music. It has hampered my my ability to play music. That was one of my next questions is uh, how it affects your drumming. Well, I have uh, very bad arthritis in my right knee. Uh, my quad muscle in my right leg is pretty much almost useless. Um, I have drop foot in my left leg, which means uh, if I put pressure on it, it's hard to move up and down. If I don't have pressure on it, it's easier. But if you're trying to play a hi-hat, your foot's on the hi-hat, and so you're creating pressure there. So it's kind of hard for me to maneuver that sometimes. So my 
uh, playing ability is affected because of that. But I manage and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that I can do that. Can I walk a mile? No, I cannot. Uh, I could ride a bicycle for a mile, but that's about it. Uh, so yeah. Price of being a gangster. Correct. Um, funny caveat to, uh, that whole story. Me and, uh, a certain singer that we could have an entire podcast about that I was in a band with, uh, you know him well. We won't say his name. Right. Um, but we went to, uh, the hospital you were at the uh the week that you were admitted um the week that it happened i should say and what was funny not funny is uh we went up and we asked about you and they were being real cagey because i think at the time they thought it was somehow gang related and they didn't know if we were part it of It was gang. gang related because I was shot by a gang member and Oh, okay. Uh, I did. Hey, uh can we take a, a break real quick? I got to piss. Okay. Sorry. We will be right back. I got to piss real bad. So, we got a couple of stock questions I, I'm going to kind of uh, tack on at the end here, um, maybe make this kind of a thing, because this is the type of shit that interests me, and maybe it interests you, and whatnot, but first thing, top five albums. Oh, boy. Um can be all time can be current they'll be all time because i really don't listen to a lot of today's music no okay no i'm more of a i like a lot of different stuff but um let's say this uh in no particular order i know uh, there's gonna be some queens in there yeah actually right out the gate queens rage for order um uh i would say ingui malmstein's Rising Force. Uh, that's what Jeff Scott Soto on vocals. And they were they were just in uh, what uh, Battle Creek last night, weren't they? Jeff Scott Soto was. Yes, yes, he not was. Ingve, I would. Yeah, yeah. Sons of Apollo. With, Sons of uh, Apollo. Our, our good buddies uh, Joe Feingold and Clint yes. Pagel. Clint Pagel. And I don't. Who's their drummer now? Joe Joseph Tallarico. Oh, Jet. Shit, I've got. I got a story about him, but. Yep, yep. Anyways, I won't interrupt yours. Uh, I'd say uh, Not Judas a Priest screaming for vengeance. Solid. Uh, I'll say. Uh, now, is this from five down? Or are you going from? One? I'm just saying in no particular no order. No particular order. Okay, fair enough. These are like uh, iconic, influential albums of my personal taste. Uh, fair enough. Uh, I would say the Sweet. Are you familiar with that band? I am. 
Okay, the the best of the suite. It kind of covers all their music. Is it Fox on the Run? Fox on the Run, Teenage Way, uh, Teenage Rampage. Uh, what was li- the big one? Uh, Ballroom Blitz. Yeah, that was covered by Crocus. Uh, Crocus, among others. Tia Car- Carrera. Oh, in the Wayne's World movies. Correct. Good call. Correct. Um, Didn't they do something else? Who wrote Who wrote uh, the song that Quiet Riot got big on? Come on, feel the noise. Slade. Slade. Okay. I'm, I'm not up on my history. Uh, I think they covered a Mama's Boy song, too. Yeah, that was... Uh, Mama, We're All Crazy We're All Crazy Now. now. Yeah, yes. Correct. Okay. Uh, and I did see that band in concert before, too, at the Morris. Who? Mama's Boys or... Mama's Boy? Boys. They opened for Rat. Interesting. Yes. Um, okay, so we've got Queensryche, we've got Malmsteen, we've got Judas Priest, we've got The Sweet... You know, I really, I, I can't really name the album, but I really like listening to like the sixties. In my opinion, were the best for music. Dude, I love Motown. I can listen to fucking Motown all day, every day. I, I love would Motown. Love to do a band like that at some point. But I really like even like Simon and Garfunkel. Just the, it's so eerie to listen to. It just, there's something about that kind of music that really gets to me, you know. Uh, it's, uh, it's a great period of music. Yeah, and just everything about the 60s really gets me. But I would say, like Simon and Garfunkel, and uh, even I love Tom Jones, you know, who rocking out to, you know, some old Tom Jones is pretty awesome. Dude, I saw a video the other day. I can't remember who posted it, but it was Tom Jones singing a. Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young song with the band. Yeah, he had his own like weekly TV show. Oh, did he? Okay, and, that and must have been that. Another reason, you know, when I being my age, I'm fifty. A lot of people had their own TV shows, like Sonny and Cher, Donnie and Marie, you know, oh, Johnny Cash. Watch. Yeah, absolutely. They all had their own like shows where they have bands on. Then you'd watch the Midnight Special, Midnight Special. And, yep. you know. Uh, Soul Train, um, American Bandstand. American Bandstand, absolutely. You know, music was right there. That was like a big thing in the 60s and 70s. And then MTV came and killed it. MTV came and killed it, yeah. And then MTV stopped playing fucking music. Right. It's kind of like Best Buy. They came in and killed a lot of the mom and pop record stores, and then they stopped carrying fucking music. Yep, What exactly. the hell? Yep, yep, yep. So that's about right. it, yeah. So that last one was like a very uh, wide... Net you have cast. Yeah, that, that the last one out. is my own like a uh, mixtape. Yeah, and I've got this mixtape that I'm going to put on my top five albums. Yes, exactly. Okay, next question. So you kind of maybe already answered this. What are you listening to right now? Um, you know, I'm still listening to stuff that I like. I like to listen to Turbo Negro. I like to listen to the Dwarves. I'll listen to Judas Priest or Malmsteen or the Sweet. Um, I listen to this stuff that I like. You know, I'll listen to, you know, some, uh, you know, uh, animals as leaders. I'll really? Listen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. that was another band I brought to this town. Yes, you did. I was two, at that show two and, times actually. And one of the times was uh, between the buried and Muse. With Correct. Me. And who else? There was Veil vale of Maya, dude. That was a stacked fucking show. That was at Elvis. That was at Elvis. That Great was my show. biggest turnout of a show ever. I think we had like seven hundred and sixty people for that show. I honestly didn't know Animals as Leaders or Veil vale of Maya. I knew like of them. 
but I went to see Between the Berries. Right, exactly. And Animals as Leaders, uh, Tassin. Uh, Tobin Obasi. Tobin Obasi is probably like the next iconic guitar player. That dude's ridiculous, man. Yeah, he's awesome. All right, so you do listen to some newer stuff then. Yeah, occasionally I'll check it out, but you know I'm not into, uh, not really into radio rock. Go ahead and say it. Say yeah. say what you mean. You know bands like Signal, Bear, bear Rock. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, no bands like Signal. Those fuckers have been gone for a long time. Right, right, right. I mean, what's weird is I like pop music, you know, but I don't really like corporate rock music. It's it seems not to get off on a fucking rant. What the hell is keeps That was my phone. Okay. Damn it, Bill. It's still not on Sorry. silence. I just uh okay, not to get off on a rant. Going back. The building turns fucking phone off again, but right. everything starts to fucking run together. It sounds the same. It does. Like everybody, it was like okay, Nickelback. Not to rank on those guys. They're an easy fucking target, but then you had uh he produced theory of a dead man so they start to sound like it and it's like i used to love shinedown shinedown used to be great they right they sound like fucking everybody is i don't know if they are all using the same fucking producer or what i don't have the even the interest to go and find out but it just and i'm not being an old fuck about it because i listen to a lot of new stuff you know right fucking uh Baroness, one of my favorite bands, Mastodon. Right. You know, I listen to a lot of current shit, but I don't know. I'm just being a codger, I guess. No, I agree. I agree. So, you know, even though uh, it's supposedly the the hot stuff, you know, it's just, it doesn't interest me. It has no soul. Right, right, right. Exactly. For the exact reason that I love like old Motown stuff. And what's funny is that was the pop of its time and it was, you know, churning out like, right. you know, the same shit they're doing now, but you know, sure. The same reason I like the Motown stuff is the same reason I hate this other stuff. There's nothing fucking to it, man. Yep. Exactly. You know, not that I'm writing, you know, anything terribly great, but you know, it is. Well, what you're is. doing what comes from your heart. You're not yeah. doing what somebody's telling you to play. Absolutely. And that's kind of the thing I've tried to do. Like ever since, you brought it up, so I'll fucking say it. But ever since being in Signal, where dun, that dun, was, dun. Yeah. we uh, the last album we did was uh, we used a producer. The guy was a great guy, you know. But it was trying to force us into <sighs> sounding like everybody else. I think. I think right. you know the people that album never got released. But the people that hear that album and compare it to the album before, they're like, "This isn't even the same fucking band." Right. You exactly. Know? So ever since that. I'm, you know, Beauty Behind the Wreck was absolutely, you know, anything and everything that Signal wasn't, you know, doing crazy time shifts or fucking right. whatever, you know. But, you know, and Atharia is the next step in that illusion. Uh, what the fuck? Goddamn, I cannot speak to that. That wasn't a Freudian slip, was it? <laughs> the next step in that evolution. There you go. That's what I meant to say. So... What were we even fucking talking about before that? Uh, I got off on the rant like I said I wasn't going to. Music that we liked and... What are you reading right now? Uh, I just read a lot of like uh, blogs and uh, a lot of like... 
I, I just I, I read on certain subjects. I don't read books per se, but I'll read like uh, you know uh, his, historical stuff. You know, I, I kind of just read up on certain situations. I'm I'm into nonfiction. I love biographical stuff. Uh, Me too. You know, I don't really care for. Harry Potter type books. Yeah, or I, can, I couldn't read fiction if you fucking paid me for it. Yeah, I am a nonfiction reader, and uh, it's mainly just whatever I want to learn about. My hobbies include genealogy research. So I will read up on, if I'm investigating my six times great grandfather, what I'm reading about is the town he lived in during that time. And I want to know what he was doing at that time. You know, I like to read that kind of stuff. Uh, Civil War uh, era battle information, revolutionary war battle information, that kind of stuff. Um, I love to do investigative work that's the kind of reading that i do i investigate i i want to be knowledge on the things that interest me on that note have you ever done uh, any of the dna things they have out now i just did the uh 23 and me my wife got that for me for i have not my wife wanted to buy me that for christmas but i said nah we'll just wait but uh i would like to i mean i kind of already know i've traced my family roots back I mean, I'm a, I'm a mutt per se. Uh, the Finn, my last name is Finn, uh, is traceable back to Ireland. But before that, it's traceable back to Finland and the, uh, the Vikings and whatnot who came into Ireland and pillaged the country. Mm. So I have that based on my last name. You know, the, the history that traces back to that, uh, you know, so I'm pretty happy with that. But, you know, so Finnish, Irish, I have French blood in me, um, German, uh, pretty much just all a bunch of white guys, you know, a bunch of Europeans. Yes. Yes. Very nice. All right. Let's see here. Do you have a favorite music biography? Saying that you read a lot of biographies, as I do. I'm reading Bruce Dickinson's right now, and it's very good. Um, You know, let me see here. Cash by Johnny Cash? No, no, no. I would say, uh, what is it? I read uh, the Motley Crue book. Uh, the Dirt? The Dirt, yes, oh, yes. nice. I really like that a lot. It was like very... Uh, open and no holds barred kind of like divulging stuff that you really want to know you know well the way they did it with all the different you know every band member writing their own and nobody got to edit anybody else out right right and that's what i like i mean that's informative you know uh and it's truth and that's what i like is the truth so that's what i want to hear i i i kind of like autobiographies or you know you know, sometimes I guess, but I really like, you know, uh, well, autobiography is if the person wrote it themselves, the person, I prefer that I do too. Um, biography stuff, as long as they are a contributor and a final, 
thumbs up, thumbs down kind of deal because obviously there's some people that just don't have an ability to write stories. Right. They can tell their stories, but if you ask them to write them down, they're just, right. you know, it's not going to happen. So, so uh, back to uh, Motley Crue, the dirt, two things about that. I had actually, well, I'll tell the first story first because we can kind of go off on the second part of the story. If I do not include this, because you mentioned that book, right. my wife will kick my ass. So oh, no. we have that book to owe for our entire relationship because we were in a history class at IUSB. Nice. And I sat in front of her for like the last day of class and I didn't sit by her normally. And I was sitting by another girl and we were talking and neither one of us had our history book. So she had her, she was sitting right behind us. She had her history book, but she had... Motley Crue, the dirt inside of her history book, so nobody could see what she was reading. Or no, that's not true because I turned around and asked her for a history book because she was reading something and she kind of held it up and kind of right. smiled. So you knew she liked Motley Crue, yeah. so you knew she liked to get it on. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it could be. Yeah, I, right, right, yeah, right. I'll, I'll let her fill in around the edges at some point there, and but. Uh, I just had to get that one out there. Yeah. Uh, the second point, um, I, I'm actually doing, I'm probably, I want to say, 50 to 75% done with a book I'm writing about all the shit that, uh, with Signal. Nice. So, one of the uh, things I talked to my uh, buddy and my buddy slash editor, Tom Conway, I'm sure you know him. Yep. Uh, really good guy. One of the, the ideas that we kind of kicked around is uh, possibly not doing it so much like the dirt, but right. letting people kind of interject like, okay, such and such a story, and then emailing, obviously, like the drummer or the bass player. I mean, I don't think the uh, singer would have much to uh, uh, objectively... Are you honestly thinking the singer wouldn't have anything to say? No, I know. I don't think he would have. Uh, what? How do I want to put this? I don't think he would agree. Improve. I don't think he would improve. I well, I would. I think in the grand scheme, if people knew who the band was, right? I'm, I'm framing it as like, um, you know, there's uh, for every made it big story, there's ten thousand you know, tried to, those are the stories you don't hear. Right. Right. So if, if we had made it big, then people would be interested in his side of shit. You know what I'm saying? And I just, I don't, I don't want to open that door to any type of uh, dialogue with him. Sure. But, But I mean, not to get off on that, but that was an idea that we had had about, you know, filling stories out and whatnot. I just, I think the guy to, uh, I guess to put a nice little ending on it without good delving too far into that. Cause God knows me and you could, uh, go for hours on that. Right. If, uh, I forget what I was going to say. I just, I don't think, uh, he would improve upon, upon the end product. I think he's maybe, maybe still too bitter, which I am too. I'm not going to lie, but I think he would, take the opportunity to cry a lot and get his jazz yes, in. You yes. know what I mean? And, but it would definitely be 
a different perspective. But and I'm not saying I'm open to it at all. So don't fucking get old of me, asshole. Right. But uh you know, that was just I, something I would like to see uh you and him locked in a room for one hour on video and have a moderator just throwing topics into the ring to where you're forced to speak on them and uh and talk about those things. I don't think there's not. And any, then at the end, any, like, you guys can fight discourse. And funny enough, like at the height of the bullshit, like after the band broke up and he was just being a fucking impossible dickhead. Uh, not like that's any different than the other time I had suggested. And at the end of the day, it ended up being a, a non-starter, not because he wouldn't have done it, but he wouldn't have, but because the local MMA, um, promoter this uh, guy I know pretty well and I, I said hey you know people know who me and him are and the acrimony between us it'd be nice to hey throw a fucking I mean we could be on the undercard or whatever but put us in the ring and I'll fork over the money for a month of training for him you know right just to have it and it I mean it never came to fruition because it was like the money that is involved as far as them being a licensed entity, they have to have blood tests and whatnot, make sure, sure people sure. are healthy, and that it would have been too much. But um, funny enough, um, I know you know the story, but I was just on uh, the Grappling Dads podcast and uh, got to tell the story about whooping his ass right down here in this basement. It was I never knew that you fought him. I it wasn't a fight per se. Gotcha. Do you want to hear the story? Well. <laughs> we'll save that for another time. Okay, okay. Yeah, we've uh, spent too much time on him already. Right. Um, last question. On stage mishaps. Oh, boy. Well, for me, nothing because I never make mistakes. But uh, It's kind of like that uh, lover thing. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, on stage mishaps. Well, I mean, uh, one time... We were playing at the Fireside Bowl. The Urinalmans were playing Fireside Bowl. And uh, our buddies, the Mashers, were on the gig. And for some reason, Garth thought the sound guy was the drummer for the Mashers. He was on stage, like, moving a microphone around. And so we would always, you know, fuck with these guys. Same with us. So Garth kind of went over there and kicked him and knocked him over. And then the guy looked over at him. He's like, dude, what the fuck? We didn't even know who the sound guy was. So that was pretty funny. Uh, let's see what else. Ironically enough, now Garth is a sound man. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, just, I mean, my drums have been kicked over numerous times, sometimes by myself, sometimes by my bandmates. Uh, I've seen, oh, gosh. I mean, that's a mishap to me is, is, is part of the show. So we take it and run with it, you know, no matter what, uh, the band I'm in now, I mean, we haven't had any mishaps yet other than, you know, Jared not wearing underwear under his kilt, but you know, that's uh par for the course. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, but yeah, I mean, other than that, you know, uh, sound going out obviously you know technical difficulty type shit but uh nothing real major you know okay 
All right. Well, on that note, uh, Virgin Mobile Meth Lab uh, drummer Bill Finn has been my guest today. It's been a pleasure, Bill. So, yeah, uh, speaking of Virgin uh, Mobile Meth Lab. Let's uh, take it out on a Virgin Mobile Meth Lab song. Um, I think what we'll do is we'll play track number two from our self-titled uh, debut release. Uh, this song is called I'd Hate to Be You If I Were Me. I think that's what we brought it in on the intro, so we'll just go ahead and play the whole fucking thing for your enjoyment. It is a great song. I've seen it live quite a few times, so here is Virgin Mobile Meth Lab with I'd Hate to Be You If I Were Me. <laughs> <laughs> 